Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship. This morning we're going to be in Romans 12, starting with verse 14 to the end of the chapter. And the last time the message was titled, Characteristics of Christian Behavior. And, you know, people come to faith in Christ, or maybe some people have been Christians for a while, and they never really settle into a church that teaches the scripture, which is unfortunate. So they have a lot of questions about their walk, about what they should be doing, what they shouldn't be doing. You know, it's not like the Bible has a list of these rules, but it just gives us practical, pragmatic uh, information on how to live our day-to-day lives. So uh, if you didn't get it, you can get it free off the website. Uh, today, the message is titled, Doing the Impossible. And the reason why it's titled that is because it's a set of scripture that talk about how we deal with very difficult people. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I actually had one person who visited the church who actually came Sunday because she knew that that was going to be taught. But it's a question that a lot of people have. You know, Jesus says, turn the other cheek. What does that mean? Uh, you find it in the Gospels. You find it in Romans. You find it in different places because... You know, it is a walk. We're walking with the Lord. And it would be great if it was just us and the Lord and not difficult people, but we run into them in our lives. And maybe God wants to use us to affect those people in a positive way. Maybe they've been hurt. Maybe uh, there's been trauma and it affects their behavior. And and how do we deal with people like that? Uh, It is called doing the impossible because we do have to ask for help from the Holy Spirit when dealing with difficult people because in our flesh we want to to defend ourselves. We don't want to be vulnerable. Maybe we want to strike back. So the Bible talks about all these things, and we're going to look at it in three parts. Now, before we jump into the scripture, it has been our tradition in Romans, uh, especially in light of Romans 1, and we've been going through the insect world and the animal world regarding the complexities of what God created in, in the world, especially the living creatures. Uh, so this morning, we're going to see God's complexity and his signature work in the cat, or philidae where we get the word felines from. And in this video, you're going to see various uh, pictures of cats and how they do things. And you're going to see uh, people try to imitate the springiness and the uh, adeptness and the acrobatics of the cat. And you're going to see them fail miserably. So you can roll that whenever you're ready. And cats, big cats, little cats. I have a sense of humor in this church. Uh, Pastor Paul decided to put that. This is actually Audrey's cat. She allowed me to use this video. Her cat catches treats with his little paws. As a matter of fact, Audrey is a great cat trainer. So um, pretty impressive for an animal that doesn't have a thumb. But he actually has a very good record. I think he had a little bit of stage fright. Uh, so these are some other cats, as you can see, the things that they do. Now, cats. We know that there's big cats and there's small cats. The cheetah has been clocked at over 62 miles per hour. So if you're out there on foot and there's a cheetah pretty close by and he's hungry, you better start praying. Because you know? you're not going to outrun him. Big cats, especially, and little cats, have long tails. <laughs> I should have played this first. 
They have long tails, especially the big cats. <laughs> Not very good on his part. And what they do is when they're chasing prey, when they're sprinting and they're, they're darting to the left and to the right, their tails bob back and forth to act as what's called a counterbalance. The same thing when the cats are on precipices, high, uh, high precipices that are very narrow. Uh, the cat uses their tail much like the tightrope walker uses a pole. If you ever watch them, they need that pole for that counterbalance, otherwise they fall off the tightrope. Uh, cats have incredible vision. They have incredible night vision. They have what's called tapetum lucidum, which means that behind the retina are these retro reflectors that actually take the light and bounce it back and forth inside the eye to fully uh, invigorate the photoreceptor so they can get a clear vision of what they're hunting at night. As a matter of fact, our military has, <laughs> I say this a lot, I mean, we're going to do a compilation of all the animals and the insects that I've gone through, but you talk about radar, you talk about night vision for the military, they use the same principle of this tapetum, tapetum lucidum in their creation or their invention so that the military can see special ops at night, what's going on as if the whole night was lit up. Uh, cats also have, they don't have a, a traditional collarbone and they have a very narrow hip. So the cats are comprised mostly of bones, ligaments, sinews, muscles, uh, connective tissue with very little limitation. As you can see in the video, they're able to spring up into great heights. They're able to jump off of great heights, spin around, do somersaults in the air, and always land on their feet. So, you know, I don't know. It's, it's an incredible invention that God put in these simple animals that we enjoy. And to me, when I think of the cat, I just think they are perfect. <laughs> One last thing. <laughs> My wife and I have a few cats, and one is a, an outdoor cat. She, we try to bring her inside, and she just, she's a, a wild spirit. She always has to be outside, but she's a great hunter. We'll often find her on the highest places of the house, the, the rooftops, um, and she just kind of sits up there, and she watches everything and then decides to spring in the action. What we did do is we gave her a, a, a collar with a little bell on it because she was killing all the birds. So we were trying to give the birds a fighting chance. She still manages to bring prey and bring it to us like it's a gift. So one night, it was at 2 in the morning, and it was the, the moonlight was out, and my wife wakes me up, and she goes, look at the window. And it looked like this, this big head with this shadow with these ears. So she goes, well, what is that? I said, well, that's either Fern or it's Batman. And either way, I think we're safe. I'm going back to bed. <laughs> so that's the cat. All right, we're going to jump into Romans 12. Just love animals. Romans 12. Now, I'm going to skip 14 and do 15 and 16 first because I believe they go together. And then I'm going to group 14 with 17 and the rest of the verses. So jumping into Romans 12, verse 15 he says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who re weep. And this is part of these uh, interpersonal relationships. This is part of who we are as believers, filled with the Holy Spirit. But one out of three parts here is be harmonious with the body of Christ. So rejoice with those who rejoice. And that means to share in other people's joy. 
And I think what's really sad, and you see this with a, a clique of friends, even in the church, a, a clique of Christian friends when uh, maybe a young family is they're looking to have a baby or they're looking to get the job that they've always been praying about or they're looking to get their first house. And one gets their first and there's a jealousy that sets in. And this is really, um, it's an aberration. Uh, and, and this really speaks against that. So somebody gets something before you. Be happy. Rejoice with them. Jealousy is an ugly thing in the church, by the way. Um, and especially, you know, just talk to God and, and ask him. You know, he knows the cries of your heart. And these things are going to happen in, in different measures, in different time periods. He knows. He knows when he's going to deliver us, so to speak. In addition, it says weep with those who weep. Okay, to have empathy or to have sympathy for those who are suffering. And then, again, this is also a Christian staple. This is something very important that the Lord takes seriously. And sometimes, this isn't going to be on the Christian TV channel and the popular preachers. Sometimes God allows us to go through difficult things so that we can have empathy for others. You know, if we lived a perfect life and everything always went well for us, sometimes it's hard to understand another person's difficulties. So he says, weep with those who weep. Now, I know I'll speak for me personally, and I'll never forget the year. In 1999, some 20 years ago, I was, and there's a whole physiological, there's a whole reason for it, uh, but I developed very terrible panic and anxiety attacks to the point where there were times that uh, I didn't want to live. I'm like, Lord, just take me. I'm, I'm a Christian. I just, it just was brutal. Uh, but the Lord delivered me from that. And many years later, you know what that did for me? Now, I never would want to go back there. All right. But what I really know, looking back, is that he helped me develop an empathy for others. When somebody comes into my office or somebody needs to talk to me after service, I could see, you know what, I've been there. They walk into my office and they see the plaques and all the things and they have an impression of me like I've arrived or something. And then they say, you know, I, I have struggled with ending my life. You wouldn't understand. Oh, no, let me tell you my story. Oh, I was there, and I remember it like it was yesterday. And you can see even the body language, their countenance changes. I've developed, you know, and I've told people, I don't even care if they don't even have to go to this church. You know, somebody struggling with, you know, suicide or thoughts of harming themselves, give me a chance to talk to them and tell them how valuable their life is. So maybe it's not something I really had in the beginning, but the Lord, through the trials, helped me to develop that. And it's a good thing. And I would say that if you're going through something difficult, ask God, why am I going through this? You know, reveal it to me, show it to me. You know, I'm not really happy, but I know you're there and I know you love me. And then, you know, you come out on the other side. And it's usually only by hindsight that you can say, I know why I went through that. Or this is what it did and helped me with. And I don't, be, I don't think that God throws fireballs at us. But, you know, through life, things happen. And then through our experiences, we can develop that empathy and truly weep with those who weep. So to be relatable with others, to, you know, to be considerate of other people's feelings and their trials. Verse 16, he says... Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. So two out of three is to stay humble. Very, very, very important. This is one of my big problems with what I call celebrity Christianity. Hot shots, big shots, big ministries. They're always talking themselves up in their personal life. Like, it's almost like they're unrelatable. But he says, God says to be humble, 
to associate with the humble, right? Sometimes people go to these types of churches where they're so big and they're so hyped and they, they get into that mentality there as well. You kind of are what type of church you are and what type of preaching you have an affinity towards. And they are unrelatable at times. Um, but what does the Bible say? It says to be of the same mind of the humble and not to be wise in our own opinion. Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, when a church decides it only wants a certain high class of people, it departs from the Christian ideal for ministry. I know when I was going through my difficult time, I didn't need to be around people with big egos. I needed to be around people who would have some compassion for me and would listen to me and, you know, just go the distance with me. That's important. So, you know, people who come in with big egos and they're superstars, they're usually high maintenance and they're difficult to be around. I had a friend who he just was so impressed and he would always talk about, oh, these people with the big house and this guy has a Porsche. And it's like, man, it's all you talk about. You know, why is that so important to you? And it's cool that people have those things. I don't, but um, God bless them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. But at the same time, you know, what is our goal in life? Is it to make a mark on the world? Is it to uh, aggrandize ourselves? Or is it to just be relatable to others in the church body? Because that's what God wants. We continue, verse 14. So let's go back to 14. (laughs) Here's the difficult part. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, this is awesome. I love this, this kind of caveat. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men or all people. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not become overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So three out of three is, I've titled this, this is only possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'll just say this, I'll raise my hand because I'm not an unrelatable pastor. When I'm wronged, when somebody does something that's unkind to me, I do have to seek God. It doesn't come naturally in my flesh. So you have to understand that as we go through this section, this is, this is a God thing. This is something where those, one of those many times we're going to have to call on him for help. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Think about the persecuted church. All the things that our brothers and sisters across the world are going through right now. And their amazing stories of love and loving their persecutors and forgiving them. And I see some of the things they go through and I'm just, I'm, I'm stunned I'm like, this, this is only the work of a Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. So a little bit of a Pastor Joeism here. This is what I say. If your enemy gets saved <laughs> and they become a strong walking believer, then they become an ally and they're no longer an enemy. So these are simple things to kind of give us hope. And listen, it, we should do it because God wants us to love and forgive. But these are also some practical uh, outcomes that could take place. I'll give you a quick example, is that I was, as a police officer, it was my district, and there was a guy who was, for those of you who know, was a one percenter. And if I said the name of the biker gang he was in, you would know the name. And he was causing havoc with his neighbors. And I had a few run-ins with him, and I, in my flesh, I did not like him because of what he was doing. 
and he came to the station one day uh, to talk about something else. And it's like God said to me, now it's time to, to tell him about me. And sometimes I, I just like look up and like, man, you, you, Lord, you asked me to do some really impossible things. But when he asked me to do something, I'm obedient. And don't get me wrong, maybe I started off a little not really loving, hoping that he just turned me off and leave. But he actually listened. And we actually became friends. It was the most bizarre thing. Uh, so, and I found myself now going to see him and just having regular conversations. And the neighbors were like, what did you do? You know, he stopped bothering us. But his heart started to soften. He was never told about the love for him. Uh, you know, why do people get involved in criminal behavior? A lot of times it goes back to a past trauma. And as much as I, in the flesh, didn't want to, the Lord helped me to try to understand him. And uh, it, it turned out pretty cool. He eventually came to church once or twice. And, uh, yeah, so, so that's that. So let me read Matthew 5 for you. Matthew 5, Jesus said, uh, 46 through 47. Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. Now, don't get me wrong. God is not saying that the IRS are the worst people on the planet. <laughs> these people at the time, save the comments for yourself, but these people at the time not only took the, the taxes, but they, took, they ripped people off with the power of the Roman government to take for themselves too. So they were very hated. So Jesus is saying, you're, you know, you're supposed to be a Christian, the tax collectors, they hang out, they party with each other, uh, they do favors for each other as a camaraderie. So Jesus says, what's the sense in just loving those who love you? What he says is, and if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. What Jesus was asking us to do, and we see it here, is to is to go beyond our little cliques and our little comfort zones and reach out to people that maybe are different from us, not like us, we don't understand, give us a hard time, have wronged us. And boy, that is, I speak from experience, that is a difficult thing to do. Verse 17, he says, don't repay evil for evil, right? This, I'll get you back, you know, it may take 10 years, but I'm lying in wait and I'm going to get my opportunity to get you back. He's saying, don't do that. Right? Don't repay evil for evil. Understand this as well, too. When Jesus spoke about turning the other cheek, he was speaking about everyday interpersonal relationships. So if, if at 2 in the morning, you, you and your family and your kids are, think you're safe and a burglar comes through the, the window and they have a, a weapon, you've got to defend your family. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about interpersonal relationships. It's how we, sum total, live our lives, Right? Uh, 17b, the last part or the, the ending part of it, he says, have regard for good things in the sight of all men or all people. So basically is that it's not about appearances, but let's say we're living our lives as a Christian. What this means is that others, the unsaved, the difficult ones, the toxic people will see that we actually practice what we preach which can be the hardest thing to do as a Christian. We can learn the Bible. We can talk the talk. Walking the walk is the most difficult stage to apply it to our lives. 
but it's something that God has called us to do. Does it mean we're going to be perfect? No. Have I missed opportunities? Yes. Have I looked back and said, that was an opportunity that that was clearly from the Lord, and, and I missed that opportunity? So we're not going to be perfect, but if we're walking with the Lord, this daily walk with him, he's with us, he's in us, he's ready to uh, endow us with gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, then we can do these impossible things. It's really every day we get up and uh, there's probably millions of decisions that the brain makes. You know, you study brain chemistry. Um, we don't even realize how quickly the brain makes the decision. Some are involuntary, like respiration, uh, temperature regulation, heart rate, all that stuff. And then some are conscious decisions. And we're sinners. So some of them, we're going to make those decisions based on what God says. And sometimes we're going to drop the ball. And it's very important that I say that, especially with new believers or weak believers who they beat themselves up. Don't beat yourself up. You're new at this. You know, the forces of evil are trying to get you to go back to your old life because it was quite frankly easier when your spirit and your body and your mind are all in the flesh and it's self-gratification. It's easier. You're of one mind. When you become a believer, there's a part of you saying, no, we shouldn't do this anymore. So there's this kind of conflict. And the Bible says, you know, are we going to feed the flesh or are we going to feed the spirit? It's a decision that we make every day. Verse 18, I'll read it again because I love it. The Bible is so practical. It doesn't just say live peaceably with all people. It says, if it is possible and as much as depends on you. So what God knows is that some people are impossible to deal with, that, you know, basically do no harm. So, so what should I do? I can't get along with this person. I pray for them. I try. And they're just always on me. Okay, well, do no harm. Pray for them, right? And let's see what the Lord does. And there's, there's a lot more here. Now, there's a little caveat or a big caveat to this is to say that not to stay in a situation where you're being harmed. Every so often, the old me, as far as my profession comes out, and, and sometimes my, my staff and I will sit somebody down and say, listen, you're going through what's considered domestic violence. You need to get out of that situation. You need to go to the authorities. You, need, you, know, you, you have to do what the laws of the land say because you are in harm's way. It's not often, but there are times that we have to have these discussions. The Bible's not saying to stay somewhere and get used as a punching bag or to be in such a toxic situation that that's not what God is asking us to do. So what does the Bible say? What does the Bible not say? And here's the problem with, with biblical Ill- illiteracy, and a lot of churches don't teach the Bible, is people don't know common sense as far as what the Bible says in totality. They just hear somebody throw out a quick verse maybe to keep them in line, so to speak, or to gaslight them, you know, a current term. Uh, But that's not what the Lord is calling us to do. God's not calling us to be manipulated, to be mind-controlled, to be abused. That's not what he's calling us to do. So seek safety uh, if you're in an unsafe situation. And even when you get to safety, still pray for that person, right? Ask God to change that person. Now, put abusive situations aside, just, let's just talk about interpersonal. Somebody irritates you, uh, whatever. Maybe there is a, there's a person in the church, you know, that you come in and you, you're irritated by them. You know, you definitely have some, some guys laughing over here. <laughs> you want to talk to me afterwards? No, just kidding. <laughs> Hope it's not me. <laughs> but the point is we should pray, um, that God changes that person. Here's a novel idea. How many times do we do this? That God change us too. How often do we pray, Lord, change my heart? 
help me to have the love for this person because I don't. You know, where is this idea that we are supposed to pray flowery prayers that mean nothing to him? We, oh, Lord, I I love this walk with you and and I do everything you ask. Is that really true? Let's just be honest with the Lord because he knows the truth anyway. Why would we try to put one over on him, right? I'll just share a personal uh, situation where, you know, my dad... I believe that he got saved before he died. He died a few years back. And he was a very difficult person. Sometimes he had four, he had four kids, and sometimes, believe it or not, he'd play us against each other. It was, a, it was rough, right? Some of my problems came from that sort of upbringing. Uh, it was so bad that when he died, my sister didn't even come out to go to his funeral. So just to give you an idea what we dealt with as kids, and I know some of you have similar stories, and I remember I was a brand new pastor, and I just, he just was so toxic, I just stopped talking to him for a few months. But I got to tell you something, every day, every day, every night, I begged Lord, the Lord. I'm like, Lord, you know my heart. In the church, they might not know what I'm dealing with, but in my heart, I don't forgive him. And I begged God every day, Lord, I'm a pastor. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I, I pleaded with him to help me to forgive him. It took a while. It took several months for that to happen. So what am I going to do? Pretend? Pretend to the congregation? Pretend when I'm in prayer that everything's fine? I needed, I was doing the impossible. I needed God's help. So here's how everything turned around. My father became very sickly, very physically weak. And here I am. So everything's good. I just kind of accepted him for who he was. I didn't have any expectations as a father to, the, to a son. I just looked at my heavenly father to, to draw strength from and there were times that I'd, I had to help him on the toilet, off the toilet. And I remember one time when I was helping him, he looked up at me like a child would look at their father. Here I am, I'm the kid, and I just saw a weakness in him. And I saw uh, humility. And um, he died, and, and I was, when he died, I had peace. Because I accepted him for what he was. Uh, but... That was, listen, I'm, I'm being transparent with you. What's the sense of me coming up here telling you flowery stories that, that you, you'd be like, oh, I can't do that because sometimes I fail. And it took me months and I agon. It took a long time, folks. Um, but, you know, these things happen. Pastor Jack Hibbs, I have to laugh. I have to give a shout out to him in the prophecy conference. He was talking about, they, they had a live stream like we do. And uh, he was finding in his church that a lot of people were staying home in their PJs watching him on the video, right? Some of you have done that. For those of you who are watching in your PJs, if you've been doing this for weeks, get out here. There you go. So, (laughs) listen, I'm, I'm easy. Jack Hibbs shut down the live stream for a while. I'm not going to do that. Um, But... You know, and people would say to him, but pastor, there's people in the church that annoy me. Listen, I don't care where you go. I don't care what church. It's always going to be great in the beginning. You're a sinner. They're sinners. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We're going to get on each other's nerves. It happens. Do we have to be so sensitive about everything? You know, I, in the beginning, wanted to quit being a pastor because, because my, I was, my feelings got hurt at times. And I got irritated and I got taken advantage of. And you know what? I was like... Well, look what happened with Jesus. Just do what you're called to do. So you got, listen, you, don't raise your hand. But if some people here, I see a lot more people on this side. Some people here that, I don't know. But you know what? Just we have to get over ourselves. And 
the pastor said, good, they annoy you, good, come to church, deal with it, you know what I'm saying? See, I'm a lot nicer than that, aren't I? I use humor, but I get my point across. Uh, so, so that's what happens. And, and we're reading this, and I'm, I make the application to real-life situations. It's no secret. In every church, people get on each other's nerves. Uh, verse, now, don't get me wrong. There are times to leave a church, you know, when the leadership has gotten corrupt or there's, you know, vicious factions. I know people that have stayed longer than they should in some churches. Uh, some things that would make your hair stand up that happen in churches. It's like that church should die a natural death. It really should. And people should go and maybe start their own movement or whatever. Uh, but, you know, we really need to try to get along. Verse 19. He says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. The only person who should have wrath is God. Because God knows truly who's wicked and who's not. We, unfortunately, as humans, judge by appearance, and we should not do that. The Bible says that God judges the heart. He knows who's really wicked inside and who's really a decent person, but they're, they're struggling through life, and we will always make the wrong judgment call. So God says... He says, give place to wrath, understanding it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So again, many have this revenge mentality, um, but I will say this, there's an expression that goes like this, holding on to bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Makes no sense, does it? But it's true. There's uh, neurochemicals that are uh, inhibited. There are uh, catabolic hormones that are released through the body when you're stressed out. And these chemicals are really designed for a fight-or-flight situation. But when you're constantly holding on to bitterness, you're constantly releasing them into your bloodstream. They affect your organs. They affect your tissues. It's not good. But that's not the only reason to forgive people, you know, and not repay evil for evil. But God tells us to do this. Now, I have to make a, an, another caveat here because I believe in the totality of Scripture. In Genesis 9, 5 through 6, and I'm going to get through this. Actually, next Sunday, we've talked about responsibility towards family, towards the church, with our spiritual gifts, towards just in strangers. Uh, Romans 13 is about responsibility towards government. We do have some responsibilities, and there's some things that we don't have to do. So stay tuned if that piques your curiosity. Uh, but in Genesis 9, 5 through 6... When human government was formed and Noah's family got off the ark and the earth was going to be populated again, God said that capital, and I'll read it next Sunday, capital punishment needed to be instituted because there has to be order in society and the evildoer has to be punished. Now, it doesn't mean that we get personal revenge. Again, it's interpersonal. Uh, we, we have to watch that. But we allow the, the, the government or the governing forces to let that person go through the court system and let them do what they need to do. But people conflate that and they say, oh, capital punishment is always wrong. It's not an eye for an eye. But, you know, here we're in the New Testament. We're going to read what Romans 13 says about that. So that's, you can't conflate those two issues. The government needs to do its job in keeping its population safe. So the difference, when God says vengeance is mine, again, he's put his approval, approval on a system that governs humankind. And the opposite of government is anarchy, and we'll talk about what that looks like too. So stay tuned. He says, give place to wrath. God has given deference, right, for personal wrongs. You know, let God deal with it. The truth is, and people say, oh, this person died, and, and they found out later that they were, I don't know, child molester or whatever. 
and people get angry. But it's like, you know what? But they didn't escape God's notice. Okay, so they escaped our notice. They escaped the authority's notice. You know what? God will deal with that person in eternity if they haven't repented. So trust me, he's, nobody gets away with it. I'm going to show a video, and let me, let me preface this. Every once in a while, <laughs> the mainstream media has to put something, because it's news, they have to put something on TV because, because it's newsworthy, but the gospel is being preached. So here's a situation, and I don't want to get into the details of what happened. What's really important is what happened afterwards. There was a, a, a female police officer in Dallas who... They had video of her beforehand and stuff. She was in a very uh, ridiculous, uh, unbecoming of an officer situation, and it affected her psyche, and she gets home from work, and she goes to the wrong apartment and shoots a man and kills him. The man was watching TV eating ice cream. It turns out he was a Christian. Uh, And his brother, right, this was Botham Jean, his brother, Brant Jean, Jean, I think is the proper way to pronounce it. He's 18 years old. He hears that the police shot his brother. Now, he's a Christian, too. Knowing his brother, never gets into trouble, never does anything wrong. It's tragic all around. It was an accident, uh, but it was, there were things that led up to it. So Brant Jean, the 18-year-old younger brother, right? To me, 18 is still a child. You know, you're still starting to understand the world around you. He, he said in an interview, when I first heard the news, I, I put my fist through a wall because I knew something was wrong. He was angry. Then the trial comes up and you see him at the impact statement talking about the person who shot the brother and how he forgave her. And he starts to, you can see, I, I'm a body language watcher. You could see he's fixing his collar. He, he knows he's on TV. He doesn't want to be on TV. But this is from the Holy Spirit. Watch how he handles the situation. If we could roll that video. I don't want to say twice or for the hundredth time what you've or how much you've taken from us. I think you know that. But I just... I hope you go to God with all what all the guilt all the things the bad things you may have done in the past each and every one of us may have done something that we're not supposed to do if you truly are sorry I know I can speak for myself I I forgive you and I know if you go to God and ask him he will forgive you And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did. But I see, I, I personally want the best for you.
and I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. That is unbelievable. Um, you didn't see it, but they panned quickly to the judge, and she was having tissues and crying too. And she could have said no to that. Uh, it turns out afterwards that she said to the woman was sentenced to 10 years. She said, here's my personal Bible. She said, would you read it? And she said, yes. She goes, when you get out of prison, give it back to me. And she got, the judge is a Christian too. She got a lot of heat for that. But this is one of those things where this secular world, we don't want Jesus, we don't want God. This is one of those things where they had to show it. And that is so powerful. Could all of us say that if we were in that position, that would be easy to do, that we could have even done it at all. Uh, there was other people that watched that, and it was a woman whose son was taken by a man, and uh, she said, after watching that, I finally was able to, to rest and to give it up and be at peace. This is the power of Jesus Christ, folks. You're not coming to a church where we're teaching about religion and we're talking about current events. You're coming to a church where we believe in the power of God. So when I title this message, Doing the Impossible, that's impossible. And every once, when I saw it, I had tears in my eyes for the first time. I'm like, Heather, Heather. I called my wife. I'm like, come over here and watch this video. So it was so powerful that I felt I needed to show it. Amen? Verse 20. Now remember, the court did what it needed to do, but uh, Brandt, Jean, as an individual, did what he needed to do as a Christian. And he referenced his brother, Botham, and he said this is what Botham would have wanted. So you see, watch the dichotomy. We can walk and chew gum at the same time. Government does what it needs to do, but we as Christians individually do what we need to do. And it's often going to be different. So... Verse 20, he says, Therefore, if your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Now, this comes from Proverbs 25. The Apostle Paul oftentimes referenced 
uh, used as a proof text, the Old Testament. And this is for the individual believer. And what does it mean? Uh, people have different ideas about this hot coals on someone's head. It's not literally. It's, uh, it's, um, it's a simile or it's, an, it's, it's a, a metaphor. Couldn't think of the word. But it's for the evildoer to, if they do something awful, to see that the person that they're hurting who's a Christian, um, they should feel ashamed when they're treated kindly and as a human being. And some people have softened through this type of behavior. Because the world is waiting for us to mess up, even when they taunt us, right? Taunt us, taunt us, taunt us, and then you snap. And they go, I knew he wasn't a Christian. It's like this awful, twisted test that people sometimes put upon us. So... You know, I was, as a police officer for 25 years, I was taught vigilance. I was taught to be proactive. I was taught to have, and I'm still a little scarred because even in the hallway, I can be listening to you and watching. And sometimes my eyes, it's just, I've been surrounded before. I've been attacked. Um, the Lord, thank God, has delivered me through all of it. But it, it, it's almost a, a, a damage that's still there that manifests itself in small ways, but I'm getting better. Uh, so then I go into this world where I'm a Christian. Now I'm vulnerable. So I have this one profession where I need to guard myself and protect myself. God has such a sense of humor. I, I, either I'm out of my living mind or God is really evident. It is just like nothing in between. You know, so I'm vulnerable. I'm protecting myself. I'm vulnerable. So, but God is good because if he puts you in a situation where he's vulnerable, vulnerable, he's going to have first place in that situation. So the metaphor is for the person to be ashamed that they did that to you, and now you're being showing kindness uh, to, br- to bring a burning conviction. Or if they continue with this lifestyle of doing evil to different people, that eventually the coals of fire will be the wrath that God eventually has to mete out on an ungodly world if they don't repent. So there's an expression that said, is if, if God is going to deal with the person, don't get in God's way. You know, God's, he's, he's, he's going to bring it. And we keep getting in the way because we want to vindicate ourselves. So it's, it's a tough walk, folks. That's why I titled it the way, the way it, I did, because it's, it's, it's not an easy thing to do, and I'm just admitting that. Verse 21, do not, overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The world is full of evil and corruption and demonic activity. But don't let it change your attitude. Don't let it change who you are. And I've often counseled people that have come to me just tormented by even like a family member. You know, a situation is just, it just never seems to go away. And I say, don't let them change who you are. You know, always try to be the influencer and not be influenced. And Christians are going to deal with that every day. It's a dynamic relationship. It's not static. There's a worldly expression that says, beware that when fighting with monsters, you yourself don't become a monster. So something to really take. Some good worldly expressions that really say it all. So is any of this easy? Of course not. That's why I titled it. In Luke 9, check this out. Jesus is training his disciples somewhere in the beginning to the middle of of their you know, three-plus-year walk with the Lord. He's training them because he's eventually going to be crucified and he's going to ascend into heaven after the resurrection. So in Luke 9, they enter a village of, of Samaria and they're rejected and they're probably treated pretty poorly. So James and John, 
say to Jesus, they remember Elijah in the Old Testament, and they say, Lord, shall we call down fire from heaven on this village? And Jesus rebuked them. And he said to them, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. And folks, that goes for us too. God hasn't called us to be prophets to institute his vengeance on the world. Sometimes that's self-serving. God is saying, we, especially in the church age, what manner of spirit are we of? Are we of the Lord's spirit of love or are we of the spirit of vengeance? Good stuff there. In Matthew 19, the disciples were perplexed by yet another problem, and Jesus replied to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. In Philippians 4.13, another scripture, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So what does this boil down to? What does it boil down to? It's yet another reason to get closer to God. And that's why we keep our faces in the scripture, because it helps us to get there, right? And in situations like this, it's for us to draw strength. And it's another reason to stay close to him all the days of our life. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.